to Out of the Box Radio with me, your host, Christine Blasdale. Out of the Box Radio is a weekly podcast of audible ear candy dedicated to bringing a fresh perspective on this thing that we call life. And each and every week, we're going to be diving into the topics that matter most with lively conversations on issues such as health, wellness, and transformational healing, all with the goal of creating a better world and becoming a happier human being. I will be your tour guide for this epic adventure, and each and every week we're going to be embarking on a journey with the ultimate goal being transformation to our highest potential. And now, let's get out of the box. Hello everyone, I'm Christine Blasdale, and I am so very happy that you tuned in today because we've got a very special program for you. I have two amazing women sitting right in front of me. They are Meredith Baxter and Nancy Locke. And of course, you may recognize Meredith's voice. She was on the NBC sitcom Family Ties, as well as, and I just realized this too, Meredith, I remember catching you in the 1992 TV film, A Woman Scorn, The Betty Broderick Story. Yeah. You blew me away that with that. Wow. <laughs> You are amazing. Anyway, folks, yes. So that's uh, Meredith Baxter. Of course, she's an incredible actress and has done quite a bit of other things that we're going to be catching up with her. She is here with her wife, Nancy Locke, who Nancy, Nancy is, uh, was in the construction business for many, many years. Are you still doing that? No, I'm retired. You're retired. Lovely. Oh. Building contractor. And they've been together for 13 years? Going on 13. Oh, my God. What was I thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking, Meredith? And today we're going to be talking about not only um, not only same-sex marriage, but more importantly, marriage. I myself have just recently married the love of my life, uh, the woman of my dreams, my best, best friend. And I wanted to have you both in here to talk about, because you've been together for quite some time, and despite the fact that you're two women together and the dynamics of two women, I really wanted to talk about the the day-to-day beautiful moments that you have being married and the day-to-day things that we have to deal with when we're living with another human being. It doesn't matter if you're married to a man or a woman. It really doesn't. But I wanted to welcome you to both to the show and thank you so much for your time today too. Mm-hmm. You're thank welcome. Thank you. Really excited to be here. So first of all, I love I love to hear the backstory. I love to find out where and when did you meet? Do you remember? Of course. <laughs> but, but it depends on which one of us you ask because we have different answers. Oh good. Okay, <laughs> let's well let's start let's start with let's start with Nancy. Do you remember? I do remember. I, I actually, M- Meredith and I talked on the telephone for a year before we met each other. Uh, and uh, so I, when I, and when I was talking to her on the telephone, I didn't know who, she, who I was speaking to. I just knew I was talking to a woman named Meredith. And the reason for that is because I was uh, checking out getting sober. And my therapist gave me Meredith's telephone number and said, here's a woman that may be able to talk to you about sobriety. So I called her. And spoke to her on the phone about my woes and my problems for uh, it wasn't a full year, but it was it s- like several it. several months. <laughs> it <laughs> it is, is a long time. And then uh, I stopped calling her because I was not interested in being sober. And time went by, 
but probably six months went by, and I called her because I wanted to know if she wanted to just do something with me. My therapist also suggested that she might be a good friend. So I called her and asked her if she'd like to have coffee. And uh, so when I met, met her for coffee, uh, I didn't know, again, who I was going to meet, and I met her at a Starbucks in Santa Monica, and she was walking out of Starbucks because she thought I was going to be late, so she went to go get a magazine. Uh, um, you, excuse me, you were late? <laughs> <laughs> Traffic. Anyway, uh, and I saw her walking out the door, and I went, oh, God, that woman kind of looks familiar to me. <laughs> I, I think she might have been on TV or something, and I think her name might be Meredith, and it, it hit me that she was uh, somewhat of a celebrity, and I was going to meet her, and uh, it, I got shy and embarrassed. And Did you? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. But she didn't know that. I, I acted like I was yeah, you know, all cool, like, yeah. oh, no big deal. But uh, <laughs> And we sat down and had coffee, and it was uh, I was instantly taken with uh, how interesting she was and uh, how funny she was. She had great, has a great sense of humor, and that really spoke to me at that first uh, meeting. And you had so, and you had known each other, but just on telephone for uh, over a year. She'd actually known me. I don't think she ever said anything to me about her. It was just me talking to her. Wow. Uh, and, she, and, and she listened and occasionally would give me some advice or just steer me in a direction. And uh, I, I didn't know anything about her. I didn't know that she had five children. I didn't know. I didn't even know her last name. So it was. Uh, How beautiful. Actually, how it's kind of interesting. That's I love that. Okay, now your now your uh, take on that day. Um, not unlike as Nancy described it, uh, I knew that I was meeting Nancy, and as we were talking on the way here, uh, trying to go over that, um, my recollection, I think my understanding was that part of our meeting might have been for social, but I I, I was still sort of thinking that oh, it might still be about sobriety, but. I, it doesn't really matter, probably, but that's I think probably where my head was. And uh, there, when you, as a sober person talking to someone who's interested in, I, I always try to keep the. It wasn't about being coy or anything like that. It was about right. keeping the focus on the person who's who's uh, who's questioning stuff. So that's um, that's why I didn't offer an, a lot about myself. It didn't matter. This right. is just my experience was um, was what was at play. So. Um, but I was started. To, I walked out of the Starbucks to go get my New Yorker and come back in, and uh, Nancy was just going out. And I think, I think I thought, oh, that, but that's her. And we wound up going in and sitting down and talking for. I don't, well, I, you were you were on your way to therapy. I was on my way to a group meeting. The the funniest part about that day was that I had no idea that Meredith was gay, and. Um, she the way that she decided to let me know that was so awkward and, and interesting because, because I said, you know, I, I have to go. And I, I this was really great. I'd love to have coffee with you again. And out of nowhere, uh, she just says, oh, and, and by the way, the woman I'm seeing. And I, <laughs> I, I, I had no idea how to get that information out because I hadn't been, been out in the gay world very long. And so I really didn't know. What's the secret handshake? Yeah, yeah, it's a secret handshake. Some verbal clue you throw out there. I, I just didn't know. So, so when she when she dropped that line on me, and I, I'm not going to swear here on on radio, but I was rather shocked and said that kind of was maybe something you might have wanted to tell me earlier. <laughs> 
And no, uh, no, no. <laughs> really was interested in having a friend. Exactly. Well, that was the intention of what, what your first meeting was because you haven't, you didn't see her, you didn't know yeah. really who she who she was, or was there was no expectation. No. Right. I love that. I really enjoyed my time with her. Mm-hmm. I felt it was really alive. She's bright and funny and interesting and has such a heart and a, a great energy that I didn't want to lose contact, but I thought it would have been disingenuous of me to not let her know. Exactly. And it wasn't about, <laughs> oh, let's date or anything. It was, it was just, I just wanted her to know. Yeah. And as kind of a newbie to the scene, I didn't, you know, I didn't know how that would be received. Didn't know anything. I, how how soon did you how 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 soon did you come out before you actually got to have that that Starbucks coffee date? I'm thinking or, about two years. Two years. Yeah, yeah I think so. About, right. about 2003, I think. And the whole process of of coming out, which is I think more of an internal process of coming out to ourselves. Um, than anything, but it uh, it can be quite an intense experience. It can be quite beautiful. It can be also quite scary. And I would think that someone that is in the public eye, it could be something that would be a little bit frightening, possibly. Mm. But I wanted to know when you did um, when you did decide to publicly uh, come out. How was that? How was that handled by first of all by you? How did you handle that? And what about the people that were around you? I know you have, you were talking that you have five children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did, how did that, that go over? Well, my children had no problem with it. Awesome. You know, they, uh, they were just, they said, I, I just want you to be happy, you know, which is what you want every child to hear from their parent. I was just hearing it from my kids. Yes. Um, but I, I was very protective of uh, the public eye in the sense that I, you know, with anyone that I was with before I ran into Nancy and a while with Nancy. So I, I just didn't know how that was going to affect my professional life, and I didn't want to chance it. So uh, I think that that created some issues for us for a while because Nancy has, has, not, has been out for a long time. I, you know, I, all, anyone in my social life and my personal life, there was no secrets there. I think just everybody knew. Right. But um, there was this whole thing I had to come to when uh, – I don't know if you read about this. Oh, please don't make me talk about this part. <laughs> um, Nancy and I, I was doing a job uh, that was a um, a little web web, a web series. Mm-hmm. And part of it was being sh- – was with Kathy DeBuono and Jill Bennett and uh, Suzanne Westenhofer. And uh, they were shooting part of the scenes on a – uh, a, a the sweet cruise the initial launch of the sweet cruise which was a lesbian cruise mm-hmm. and uh, I understood that if I signed on for this series there was a potential I was going to be outed because it was on a cruise ship with um, with the gay community correct and if I'm here I wasn't was I going to be a pretender what you know what was my role going to be and I just I just didn't tell them anything I just said yes I'd like to do the show. And uh, Suzanne Westenhofer, are you familiar with her? Yes, yes. Uh, she's b- become a good friend, uh, and we spent a lot of time with her on the cruise. And when, the last night of the cruise, uh, she said, to, uh, she announced from the stage her comedy routine ended with, if you're not out, come out, in the words of Harvey Milk. 
And um, I remember turning to Nancy and saying, you know, I, you know, I, <laughs> I got to do something. And in my mind, I thought, well, I'll put an ad in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something like a little wedding announcement of sorts. Mm, Meredith's gay. Ah, thanks. <laughs> Bye. Um, I, I, I just didn't know. I was an idiot about it. And so... We arrived back uh, in Los Angeles, and I called my uh, my manager right away to kind of say, what do I do about this? And he said, good thing you called because the Globe and the Star are on top of this. They have pictures. They want to know about what's going on. They're about to come out with a story. It was like, whoa, what? I am not ready what? for that. And so they put me in touch with Howard Bragman. Is this a name you know? No. He's, uh, I don't know what the network is. Would you know? I think he works for a lot of networks. He's a he's a fixer, ah, in a sense. But he's he's a publicist, yeah, and uh, a, a gay man himself. And he has felicitated the uh, uh, the coming out of many people. Oh, in okay. the public, right, right. So he took me in hand and said, "Okay, we are going to uh, we're going to get you a spread in People magazine, and you're going to come out on the Today Show." So what the. <laughs> You can say it. <laughs> it's like this is a little over the top, you know. I, you know, no, I'm, I'm an older actress. No one's gonna give. Right. It just it's just it doesn't need to be done. Please let's just downscale this. I can't do this. But he said that otherwise they're gonna they're gonna take the story and run with it, and it will not be. And anything. you have no control. None. You'll have no control. None. So um, I said okay, and. Uh, then Nancy and I wound up going to New York where we did the spread at my house with uh, two of my kids who were in the show. The youngest, the twins, were in the show, Peter and Molly. I mean, in the in the shoot. And um, we go to New York. And the night before we're to go to the Today Show, uh, I'm just I'm crying in the bathtub. I thought it was this was going to be the end of everything. It was like setting myself on fire on public television. And this is just going to be the end, and I'm going to say I'm gay, and who's going to give it, and it'll be the end. Well done, Meredith. And uh, Nancy came into the bathroom and sat down and uh, while I'm sobbing away, and she said, do you know, it would made a, have made a huge difference when I was a kid. Coming, you know, seeing someone who I knew, who I recognized, come out, in a public way, and claim that, so that it it just would have helped make them feel less alone. People are isolated, and because I was what fifty five or something when this is happening, I didn't have that childhood angst. I didn't have my angst was something else entirely, but it wasn't that. So I didn't have I didn't know how to identify with that. So I really needed to hear that from Nancy, and she said, "This is a political act." Because it will mean so much beyond anything I understood. And, you know, I just went with that. That had to make it. That's what kind of made it okay for me to do it because I didn't know what the I was doing. I, I didn't know how I was going to say it. But um, I, I eventually just said that I, you know, it's a late in life decision. And I, I realized I am a lesbian, and which explains so many things in my life. And... Uh, then it was done. And we left NBC Studios. It was 
drizzling and foggy, and we had uh, an umbrella, and we just walked, and I felt like, I don't ever have to do that uh, again, can, Yeah, which wasn't quite true, but it was enough uh, at the time to, uh, and I just, we went to Tiffany's, <laughs> and we wandered around the store, and we tried on rings, and we bought little rings. There were just, like, we made it through the day rings, I suppose, and uh, it just made all the difference in the world to have done it with Nancy right there with me. I, it's nothing I would have ever designed for myself, but ultimately it was, it was a good thing. And, and it's so true what, what you had said, Nancy, too, about um, I know personally for me when I was younger, uh, I'll tell you there were, there were no, uh, no women that were out. And, and of course, obviously too, if you were a gay man, uh, in particular, if you were in, enter in entertainment, forget about it. Um, yeah. but there were no, uh, role models of, of women who had came out that, you know, you, you had, you, you, always, you had hope. Yeah. Well, you always kind of thought, I mean, I kind of thought about, hmm, but I remember, uh, you know, when you're, when you're young, when you're a young girl, you have with your friends that you're in school with, you have sleepovers. And I remember, um, I loved, I loved being with my friends. I loved having the sleep. I love going to sleepovers. First of all, cause my, my house, I was in a really rough neighborhood. So when I got to go to have a slumber party at someone's house, I was ecstatic because mm. <laughs> I went to a private school. So their homes were really beautiful. Right. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this, there's like, look how wonderful this is. And I felt really great. So, um, and and as a child too, all you know is that you love your friends. And I remember going to a slumber party, and I remember the girls all being like in a corner, and they were basically not allowing this other girl to even really communicate with them at this at a slumber party. And they were throwing around these words that I didn't know, I didn't understand, and I got it that she was being targeted as a lesbian, as dyke, as all these names that did not sound very loving right. and kind. Mm. And they were treating her so horribly. And all I could do was in my mind, I said, I want to be anything else than that because I don't want to be thrown out of the tribe. That's our primal, right? Mm. I mean, that's something from, you know, lifetime after lifetime of being in the cave with the tribe because once you're isolated once you're kicked out you're going to be eaten by a dinosaur you're not going to be able to survive <laughs> so so wanting to belong to a group when that when i saw that i i was just like oh my gosh i don't want to be whatever she is if that's true i don't want to be it mm -hmm. because there were no role models right and then as we got as i got older to see i mean that that whole the the episode with um ellen with ellen yeah mm. I'll tell you, that was it's so like, powerful. Where were you in JFK was shot? It's the where, same thing with yes. when Ellen came out. I yes. think any gay person can can identify with that day and that show and when it happened and where you were and what effect it had on you. I mean, it was a hugely brave act, followed by other brave acts by Melissa Etheridge and Katie Lang. I'm not really sure of the certainty of the uh, who came out first but when they it was sort of seemed to me that it was kind of all at the same time that people were like getting brave upon other people's bravery which was wonderful and when people started coming out it was huge it yes. was huge 
It was huge. It was validation. And and I remember leading up to it. Do you remember leading up to the airing of that episode? We knew it was coming. There were leaks out yeah. in the press and there were threats. There were bomb threats uh, at the production um, facility for Ellen. There were bomb threats. There were people saying, if you do this, if you air this, we're going um, to tell the advertisers to pull out. I mean, they did a financial attack on her. They did threats on her. And that's also what was building up this anticipation. It was like, are they going to pull? The, are they going to pull the episode? Or are they going to come forward? And that's that's why. Wow, I just get really emotional. That's why when I saw that episode, it was more. It wasn't so much about the fact that she came out on national television. It was the fact that she came out with so much hate being thrown at her mm-hmm. and threats. And I thought it was extremely brave. Yeah, it, and, and the episode itself was touching, but it was also very funny, mm, which mm. made it palatable for so many people that w- wouldn't have been able to accept it. Yes. Um, I mean, it's, to do it with humor was classic. I find that, yeah, I, I, I find that with that humor and talent. You know, <laughs> yeah. when you're extremely talented and you have that ability to be creative and express yourself and touch someone – um, Katie Lang is a perfect example of that too. She starts, she opens her mouth and starts singing. You're just like, first of all, I don't care. I don't care who you love. I just love your voice. Mm-hmm. And that's, what's so important about it. Getting over the stereotypes that are, that are, uh, put out into this world. And so I do thank you because you, that bravery and thank God you had someone who loves you so much to be with you. That move that you did although scary for your at for you at that time so many people are now able to step out and say if she can do it i can do it if she has five children and she has all this attention on her i can do it i think at the time one of the things that was most important is toward the end of the interview when you said to him if i can be the lesbian next door that you know and that you love then i've made you know, I've I've done what I needed to do today, and I think yeah. that made a huge difference because you put a a, a, a quote unquote normal face to what a gay woman's going to look like. You, you're not yeah. scary. I wanted to, to be. <laughs> <laughs> you're not scary. Well, you're you know, well, your family I, I ties, to, mommy. I wanted to be beyond just me coming out. Yes, I wanted to. It has to it has to mean something somewhere along the way. Uh, which would be like if if I'm the only lesbian you know, well then maybe that'll help you. And you've 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 liked me before. I'm not changed. I'm no different. <laughs> maybe it'll then be easier for the next person that you run into. That oh, oh okay. It's You're not going to bite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. And 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 isn't it? It is you don't realize the impact that you have because you don't you, you don't get to see the ripple effect. Mm. Um, my beautiful wife, when she she more it wasn't a fact of, it wasn't a thing of saying, oh, hey, everyone, I'm a lesbian. It wasn't that what it was for her was, hey, everyone, this human being over here. I love her. I love her soul. I love her kindness. I love her heart. I love everything about her. And she's cute. She's sexy. She calls me sexy. So <laughs> it wasn't even so much about coming out. 
it was about coming out with your heart and saying, you know what? Mm-hmm. I love this person. Now, if you want to put a label on me and call me this or call me that or say this or say that or say I'm supposed to wear a certain kind of clothing or cut my hair a certain way, whatever your stereotypes are, that's your that's your business. But I love this human being. And yes, she happens to be a woman. Once she did that, it actually opened it up for other women mm-hmm. to say, hey, you know what? This is a, I'm not going to hide my love. I'm not going to when when I go out on the street, I'm not going to not hold the hand of the person that I love and that I take care of when they're sick. I'm going to hold their hand. I'm going to give them a kiss on the cheek. And that's in a area, you know, in a in a in a, in a part of the world where it's very male dominated, you know, that was such a brave thing for her to do in her own little world and it has that ripple effect. When possible, when it feels right for us, we will hold hands and I will introduce her as my wife or I will say no to the to the salesman. He'll have to come back when my wife is here because she knows more about this part of thing. And because that is a political Oh, act, yes. Because not just my saying it, but I want people to get used to hearing it. So it ceases to be alarming or anything out of the normal. Oh, it's okay. It's no different than my my spouse, my husband, whatever. Yes. It's just my wife. Yes. That's our relationship. Yes. And so that's that's our goal. Ah. Mm-hmm. Folks, if you're just tuning in, I am Christine Blasdale, and I am sitting in studio with Meredith Baxter and Nancy Locke, who have been wonderful enough to come in studio and, and talk to us today. And I, I wanted to... I wanted to find out what you, because I'm going through this experience. I don't know about you. <laughs> um, so you have the person that you love. You know you want to be with them. You would do anything in the world for them. And before you're married, you have all these wonderful, beautiful feelings, right? And then you get married. And nobody told me that after you get married, there is this heightened Oh, I can't even put it into words. And it's not a responsibility like, oh, responsibility. It's not that. There's this honorable responsibility Hmm. that came over me. I remember we had just gotten married and we were at the airport. And before she was going on her flight back home, I went to the restroom and washing my hands. And I looked in the mirror and I just looked at myself and I said, something has changed. And as I'm walking back to the the bar area where we're having a little something to eat, as I'm walking back, I got flooded with this emotion. Hmm. And it was the most beautiful, I I can't even put it into words. And maybe I'm, I'm hoping that you, that you can, but something changed when you take those vows and you give those vows to the person that you treasure more than anything on this earth. So I wanted to know what, can you remember what that feeling was like um, the, before, before being married to each other? Well, we were actually talking about this not that long ago that, you know, for me, I'd never been married before either. And yeah. when I, when Meredith and I got married, I was 58, I think, 58 years old. And it, you know, it's, fairly old for a woman to get married for the first time. And and we were talking about, and Meredith had been married three times before. You know, I never <laughs> knew that it, I, I was ever going to get married. So I never wanted to because I didn't want something that I could never have. So for me to, to finally have that be, be available to me 
was like, oh my God, <laughs> yes. um, I'm going to get to do this. And it, 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 it grounded me in a way mm -hmm. that um, was very different for me. And that was after we'd been together for quite a while because it wasn't legalized until we got married. And, and that it just made it, it made a difference that I was, again, I wasn't prepared for it either. But I also wasn't prepared. I didn't have anything to compare it with. How about you, Meredith? Do you remember? Uh, yes. Um, do you know there's that, that part of me that uh, at one time thought, you know, could have, oh, well, look, you know, there I am. I'm getting married again. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, so many of my decisions were like, oh, all right, I'll do that. Um, because there was no heart or understanding behind any of it. But... I, I have said this to Nancy that I, I did have a feeling of gravity about it in the best mm -hmm. sense, though mm -hmm. not as a burden or a weight or some onus was on me. Well, no, the onus in the sense of I'm responsible now in some way, not in some big overt way. It's just in a personal way that I want to do this right. I have made my choices. I've actually made choices here, not just sort of went along with what was happening that I've decided that I want to be in this marriage with this woman and I don't want anything more than this. And this carries a weight and an importance and a substance. It's, uh, it was an imperative. It, it became something really wonderful. You, most of it like after the fact because I'm usually too much in something at the moment to really get what's going on. And afterwards it was just, I, it settled on me with, and, I, and I embraced it. Yeah. It still does. It's still, uh, uh, after these years that we've been together, whenever I think about the fact that we are actually married, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's uh, still, I still takes my breath away. Yeah. When, you know, I, I think the other day when I was saying that I would, oh, I'm in it with her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're together. This is us. We're doing this. She's by my side. I get to help her if she asks me to. And then sometimes you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. When Meredith and I were first dating, um, a, a year into our relationship, we broke up. And we broke up for a, a number of reasons. We needed to break up. <laughs> we needed to break up to be right. And yeah. uh, and one of the things that came out of that is that we we had we were seeing a therapist. And uh, the therapist saw us separately. As when we were broken up, and she asked me a question. She said, "There are lots of kinds of relationships in our lives, but the and there's the, there's for example, there's the the dating kind of relationship where you go to movies and you have a good time and you laugh, and there's your relationship. It's perfectly fine. And there's another kind of relationship that changes you spiritually. Which kind do you want, Nancy? And I said, Oh, I want the spiritual kind. I want the I, I'm I really want." my life to be changed. And, and I want to be, I really want to be in it with somebody. And um, not just somebody, somebody wonderful and somebody that thinks I'm wonderful. And the interesting thing that we found out later is that Meredith was asked that exact same question by our therapist. And Meredith's answer was, I want the one that you go to the movies with. <laughs> <laughs> because I did not believe the other one existed. Oh, wow. So, you know, I wasn't going to hope for something that I couldn't have. Right. So when we found out that we gave different answers, we laughed and then kind of looked at each other and it was like, I guess this isn't going to happen. What, but I, no, but I tell you, I'm sorry, I didn't Go mean ahead. to interrupt you, but 
when I heard, because uh, I saw her afterwards, and she and after you had seen her, and right after I said, oh, I want the movie kind, she said, Nancy, what? A spirit. A spiritual relationship. And it was like, I switched on a dime. Oh. It's like, I do too, and I want that with you. Yeah, you definitely changed at that uh, point. Our relationship mm -hmm. took on a whole different meaning and a whole different life and a different trajectory. To, we got married. Well, and so much of it is is uh, is growth. I, I I believe so much mm -hmm. of it is growth. And when you're in relationship with anyone that that's close to you, a, um, a romantic relationship, sexual relationship, however however you want to term it. We tend to, because the other person is a mirror, so we tend to be triggered. Mm, for sure. The old shadows come right out. Mm -hmm. The old, the fears will pop up. And it's how we handle those fears, how we handle those triggers. But that other person is going to, that's their job. Their job is to actually bring up those fears and those triggers to help you release them oh, for sure. because you're not going to go anywhere. I know. I, I've often you said those. to my friends that <laughs> the best way to know yourself is to get involved with someone, to be in relationship with somebody else is, <laughs> is not even about them telling you. It's about what shows up for you. Yes. It's about what comes up in, in your relationship with another person. Again, it, it could be a friend of mine. It's how I'm triggered or what I'm relating to something that happened to me a long time ago that has nothing to do with Meredith, but yet she's stepping on that wound. And how are we going to deal with that? And it's, uh, thank God we've got a lot of, of tools to, to work with. And thank God we had a fabulous therapist at the beginning of our relationship. Long before we even needed a therapist, we got into therapy because we wanted to know how to talk to each other. And more importantly, we wanted to know how to listen to each other. Oh, that's a big one. Well, how many marriages could be saved just by listening? That has been <laughs> the number one uh, tool that we have had. It's a, it's a huge resource to have to get past all the stuff because, you know, before if, like, if I had, you know, created a wound for Nancy or something and she started to tell me how she's feeling, I'd be going, well, wait a minute, wait, why would you say that? Because I'm not hearing her at all. On defensive immediately. So... There's no satisfaction here. She's not heard because I'm busy making sure that I'm okay and not attacked because I come from a place of always being attacked. Well, that's not going to happen here, and I'll show you. Right. It, what I've, what I've um, learned, too, that in marriage, in a relationship in general, there is only room for two people. Um, and the, e the ego is another entity, person, that is it, crowding. It's crowding. <laughs> crowding the couple yeah. and what and what happens is when we are triggered when we have those fears the ego will step in and um you know I, I think that it's it's something that can be so wonderful when you have that ability to step back because we all are going to have like i said we're all going to have those triggers we're all going to have disagreements we're all going to have those moments where we disagree or argue about a particular thing and I think it was, I saw this just yesterday. Someone said, remember when you're in an argument, it's you and your loved one against the problem, not you against your loved one. Hmm. So it's not a me versus you. It's a us versus the problem. Great way to look at it. I right? Like that, yeah. 
and it just takes it away because it's with so much um, in society in general, and I'm in, even outside of relationships, outside of marriages, how we deal with each other, how we, I mean, my goodness, you know. Yeah, just even watching how people interact in a restaurant or a, or a store, uh, it's just like, wow. Uh, <laughs> What's going it's on? It's like basic, you know, communication 101 is out the door. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we were, we're really lucky that what it also helps that I find her endlessly fascinating. Uh, I, I, just, I thought, well, that's, a, that's because you are endlessly fascinating. <laughs> but that, that's helpful. Um, <laughs> and to be curious, you need to be curious in a relationship. Yes. And, um, and I, I, I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to take that with me today is, is it's us against the problem. Yeah. Because it, that's so true. And I think a sense, I mean, for, for me personally, the, um, one of the most amazing characteristics of my wife is that she is the funniest human being I've ever come across. That's great. And humor, even when there's just something, you know, when, when things, when life doesn't, you know, when you spill the milk, <laughs> when, when you crash the car, when something happens, um, having that ability to have a sense of humor about life's ups and downs is I think it's absolutely uh, critical, not only for your relationship or marriage, but also for your health, for your own well-being and health. I'm curious too. What I want to know what what you're what you're both up to. Are you now, Meredith? You're doing. You're still doing. Are you doing the the? You're not doing the web series right now. No, right? no, that died a long time ago. <laughs> what are, What are you doing? What What you got going on? Um, right now, I am. Um... Actually, I feel very busy. I'm on the board of the Ensemble Theater Company in uh, Santa Barbara, and I'm on the uh, board of a new of the advisory board of Newhouse, which is a drug and alcohol rehab for men. Um, and I'm painting and just waiting to see if just maybe some job will come along. Are you a painter? Mm-hmm. What do you paint? What kind of... Uh... Uh, I use watercolor mainly and uh-huh. sketching watercolor. And what about you, Nancy? What are you doing? Um, you know, since I retired, I and, and moved to Santa Barbara. We moved to Santa Barbara two years ago. <clears throat> two years ago now, That's almost. I've gotten involved. Uh, I'm on the board for Habitat for Humanity, which is oh. really important in Santa Barbara right now because of the two back-to-back disasters that we had in December and then January with the fires and then the mudslides. There's a, a lot of people have been displaced. Uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of hardship. So Habitat's gotten involved in the recovery part of not just building, but recovery. So we're helping people rebuild their homes. Uh, So that's been a a really great avenue for me. And I also started volunteer teaching at the Santa Barbara High School, where I'm involved with the trade arts program there that uh, is a wonderful program about teaching kids that they don't necessarily have to go to college, that there is other avenues for them. And this particular one is in construction. So uh, we built a tiny house. The, and the other high, t- other two high schools in the in Santa Barbara built one, built their own as well, and then we just had them auctioned off. It's really fun. I, I thought I was going to be af- I, I was afraid at first because I didn't think the kids would be able to relate to me because I'm older, and I was concerned that uh, they wouldn't pay attention to me and they wouldn't follow what I was asking them to do. And um, I, it's you know it's really opened my eyes up to 
I was, feel your I intention. Was, they I can was really, intention. I was really wrong about yeah. what, what youth are about. No, they feel your intention awesome. right off the bat. And they're yeah. fun and they're great and they are engaging. And um, to be able to help these kids is just been, I mean, their teacher, the, the, their main teacher is just a phenomenal, wonderful man. And so to to help him one day a week, one morning a week, I go in there and I help these kids is just it's, it's been wonderful. So it's a great experience. I wanted to talk to you about, you know, you're, you're in an industry that is very male dominated. I oh, mean, yeah. uh, I don't, I, I would say there's probably, this is also why it's so important that you're in the school because the schools, because there are um, also young girls that are, that have this, they have the ability to be in a field that is very male dominated in in construction and in general contracting and I want it in our, in architecture as well. I wanted to know how was your, how was your experience in that, in that industry um, throughout the years? Hard. hard. <laughs> yeah. It was hard. It was hard from the very beginning. Uh, and it, 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 it stayed hard. It got different. You know, did I get more respect? Probably. Was it, did it get any more normal for the men on in the field? No. Um, again, just because there just wasn't there, there wasn't, and there's not a lot of women in in construction today. But I started as a laborer and worked my way up, and uh, it it was really rough and very discriminating towards me. And, and it was a double whammy for me to be a woman in in a trade that I wasn't supposed to be in. And I was also a gay woman. Oh my so gosh! So it was, uh, you know, and, and it, <laughs> we were talking the other day about the Me Too movement. And how it's really kind of like triggered some wounds in me because I, I'm hearing people talk about what has happened to them in their industry as a woman. And it's re- reminding me of how difficult it was for me on two levels because I would say <clears throat> I'm a carpenter and or I'd be, be working on a crew with a bunch of men and inevitably – Either the boss or one of the guys on the on the job site would try to kiss me or have sex with me, or I've been was pushed into closets and pushed on the floor and oh, pushed on on trucks. And and if I said no, which was <clears throat> always, uh, not only was I told, "You're lucky I even hit on you. Have you looked in the mirror lately?" Or, oh, that's right, you're a dyke. Oh, my God. So it was. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, my God. So, oh, my God. Otherwise, so, of course, uh, you would right, go along so with So you this. don't want me because you're a dyke. So not only is it a sexual assault based on the fact that you're a woman, but then it's also a homophobic um, sexual assault. It was very derogatory. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is I was, I, I was very young. I was only 21 years old when I got into construction. So, you know, I, I really took that on as a – it was really hard on my self-esteem. Of course. You yeah. have that constant barrage of, uh, you know, I, not only was I – I had to prove myself, so I had to work harder than the other guys on, on the job site because I was always being watched. And, of course. And anything course. I did wrong was a reason to say, you know, this isn't working out for us. Right. So um, – So you had to prove yourself all over. Yeah. It was hard. It was hard, but it was also very re- rewarding. I mean, it's it's a great thing at the end of the day to turn around and go, I, I built that. <laughs> you know, it's not like I moved some papers around and made some phone calls. I built something today, or I and now it's like I taught somebody how how to do something. It's a it's really rewarding. It's a great feeling. But yeah, it was a difficult, um, very difficult job to choose. I can imagine. 
I can imagine. I was looking for something that was a perfect blend of something I could do physically, mentally, and creatively. And being in construction answered all those needs for me. Well, and it comes down to what you love. You know, it's your it's your passion. If you if it's something that you love, and what I find is uh, the perfect job or career is something that you love to do. So that it doesn't feel like, so it's not work. It's not like saying, I'm going to work. Oh, I got to go to work today. Um, it's, I get to go to work. I get to go to work. How lucky am I? Because I'm, I'm doing something that I enjoy. And I'm, I would, I would guess that it's the same thing for you too with the, your career as, as an actress. It's something that you, you enjoy doing and you happen to be very good at it. Cause I know because I saw you play Betty Broderick and you <laughs> rocked it. <laughs> That was a bad, I let's I I want to talk about that. Okay. Um, Meredith did uh God, was it 1992? That, that was, sounds about right. Yeah. Pretty sure. So it was the TV film A Woman Scorned the Betty Broderick story. Again, your portrayal of her was so astounding to me. And you were nominated for an Emmy. Mm-hmm. You didn't win for that? No, I've never won an Emmy. The bastards. You should have won <laughs> for that. Okay. So knowing her story, are you can you remember about when you well, before you took on the role, obviously, hearing her story and what led to her ultimate um I guess is she still in is she still in Yes, she is. Okay. She's still in prison. If tell our listeners, um, for those who don't know about Betty Broderick, if you don't mind, just a little bit, and what it was like when you first uh, took took the role and 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 did the portrayal of her. Um, D- Betty Broderick was the socialite wife of uh, a very well known, well established uh, lawyer in down in San Diego, and. Uh, She put him through law school, put him through medical school. And so he became a lawyer who helped in medical lawsuits and stuff. And uh, they were very wealthy, very comfortable. She had uh, four children. They had four children. And she was the showplace mom. She was at all the soccer games. She had all the parties. And so they were were very high profile in the the business, in the the neighborhood. Um, At one point, uh, Dan... uh, started to have an affair and then divorced Betty and married this young woman whose name escapes me at the moment. But uh, she's she is in, interpreted as being a younger version of Betty after Betty has done all of that for uh, for Dan to support him in uh, in what he needed. Now she's out of the picture. And um, she, as the story goes, she eventually murdered him and his new wife. Yes. Uh, this story came to me uh, as it was just on uh, the story uh, at that point, and they were putting together a writer. Dick Lowry was the director, and Ken Kaufman was a, a, one of the producers. And they were wonderful. And I got to sort of shape the story with them. Not I didn't I mean to sound like I wrote anything or produced anything. I don't do that, but I did... I was in on the, the discussion about what you know what what worked for show scenes and stuff and what didn't. I, that's how I remembered it anyway. Um, now, just to put this in context, I was in uh, I think the second, going on the third year of a nine year divorce, and I was fueled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so I got the job, and the first thing 
I did um, was I went out and I bought a new Mercedes. It was time to replace the old one. And I bought the biggest car they had. It was, I called it my two-bedroom <laughs> um, musical station because it got, had a great music system. It got terrible mileage, but it was big and it could drive over my ex-husband's um, Porsche. <laughs> that was the requirement. And so I took all of that anger with me into uh, putting this, into acting in this show. And as I was doing my research, uh, I read everything, and there was lots and lots of coverage about her. So I just ate it all up and thought, well, this woman was, you know, I would never have murdered my husband, but I certainly understood why she did everything she did, because she was just so maligned and marginalized and treated so badly. And we shot the movie, and Stephen Collins, who played the, the uh, Daniel, he was bitterly in the other camp, thought that it was, she was just a harridan, and she was a little bit of a harridan. And uh, so we were on very opposing sides, and which, I didn't which, see... Which was natural for the... So the that, that, that was great. Um, anyway... Uh, in the course of the movie, she is very aggressive. She, the, it's all was very true to the storyline. She was, um, she, she, she was, she was uh, not. She, what was she? Yeah, there was a. I forgot what is it called? Uh, it not, she's not allowed to get into the house to go to the see the kids. Restraining order. Restraining order. Thank you. There was a restraining order put about against her from going to his house, and she would just waltz in anyway because the kids were there, and she just delighted in pushing that envelope. She terrorized him. She went in the house when he wasn't there, and she spray painted things, and wrote pig and, and damaged stuff all the time. She drove her big suburban through the front door of their house at Christmas time. <laughs> this is great. I never saw the movie it's just like seeing it right now oh yeah well got, <laughs> got a, a knockdown drag out fight on yeah. the front lawn it was just shot in hancock park here and, and it was a, a cold misty night and i the, every, the grass was so slick and we it was a real fight i we were trying we were hitting each other we just pulled no punches and eventually when they had the police come to break us up because that was the way the scene was they had to pull us apart and i just kept Fighting, I was, I was in it. I and just, <laughs> you know, there was so much um, anger that was just misplaced and had no place to land in me. That uh, it really worked well. I totally threw my back out in the process of doing it. Um, okay, we shoot the movie, and just as we finished filming, we found out that the jury trial, which was going on at that time, yeah. was a hung jury. So we, before we even left the, uh, the, the stage, we went, got to make another one, have to do a follow-up. So they have to find out what happened, why is it a hung jury, and they got to follow the trial. So that was great. In my preparation this time, I got to read the transcripts of the, the uh, trial, and I found out that everything I had read in preparation for the first movie was uh, was you know, all these interviews and stuff? Because when as soon as Betty got into jail, was put in prison, she hired a publicist. Oh yes. So everything I was reading was her spin on her story. Yes. So of course I was really manipulated, as was the entire country of people watching and following her story. Were all on these side. The side the women were in support of Betty. But I am just now reading the transcripts. 
and saying, oh, this woman was a narcissist. She was in this all for herself. She would steal her kid's puppy from their father's house and then call him and say, what a terrible father you're is. Let me go help you find your puppy. Wow. You know, just really manipulative. Yes, and yes. Calling and leave ugly messages for the kids and calling them traitors for living in this household. So she was brutal to everybody. And um, I remember seeing a... Uh, an interview with her while we were still in preparation for the second movie of her in prison when they'd, they'd first, before the first trial, and uh, I think Oprah had gone to see her. Oh. It was all very solicitous and all that and because, because everyone believed in her. But after the second one, I mean, after the, uh, the trial was over and she's in prison, they go to visit her and they say, well, what do you think now, Betty? And she said, well... I think it's good that something about some solicitous, solicitous comment about Dan and um, his wife being dead, but I survived. And it was like a little bit of demon yeah. just come out of her. And that's who I wanted to capture. And my, I felt like my job in doing this movie was to say, okay, this is who she was. This is what happened to her. But I want you to see the person inside so that you can find you in there. Boom. Yes. Otherwise, it, you're just going to write it off. That, oh, she was a horrible person. Yes, to be sure. She, yes. I think she was a horrible person. But there is a little bit of that strain of reality of feeling bypassed, you know, set aside, you know, dumped and for someone else, a better version of yourself. He had, he had resources that she didn't have to, to or the, the money, the money issue. I'm going to tell you something so amazingly ironic cool. or synchronicity. What's that? You were talking about that moment where you saw her in prison mm -hmm. where Oprah did the interview. Do you know one of my first gigs in entertainment, so to speak, I was actually living in San Diego. Um, I actually, as a fluke, because I am not, this was not my job. As a fluke, someone who had a satellite truck said, Christine, do you want to, um, we got a call right now. We got to go to the women's correctional facility. Da, 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 da. Oprah Winfrey wants to do a live hookup with this woman that's in uh, prison. Will you go in and do the thing? And I'm like, wait, I got to go in. I got, I'm like, what? It'll pay. You. And I was in college. Wow, whatever, right. Wow. So they're like, it'll pay you a hundred dollars. Right? You know, that's, you're like, oh, wow, a hundred dollars. So we go and I am find myself in the, that, so with that camera shot, I'm there. I'm on the other side of the camera. Oh, wow. Startling, and, huh? And here's something that you didn't know. as Because that was live. Yeah. That was a satellite uh, hookup, right? So Oprah's asking her questions. Now, I can't hear what Oprah's saying, but I'm watching Betty. I'm sitting. I swear to God, this is what's so weird about this. I'm sitting just like this to Betty. You played Betty. Okay, I'm sitting like this. And she has her little earbud in, right? And... And she's talking and you can hear she's listening to Oprah. She's listening to something that Oprah said. And at some point she takes out the earbud and she puts it down and she says, oh, no, that's that was not agreed upon that. No, no, no. And my producer is in my ear saying, oh, my God, she's going to leave. She's going to leave. Don't let her leave. And, I, and I'm like, what, what am I supposed to do? Oprah just they just went to Oprah's face, right? When they saw that she was uh, getting so they didn't want to see that she was being upset. Right. So my guy who's <laughs> paid me a hundred dollars 
do something, do something. Cause she's going to, she's going to stop the, the interview. So as I'm, as she's taking off her stuff, she's looking right at me and she's like looking at me, like, help me, help me in her eyes. And I said, big picture, think about the big picture. And she calmed down and she, and it was like, she completely morphed into this calm. She put her earbud back in and she looked at me. Like that. Did you ever find out what it was? And then the that, interview continued. That, that what did she say that upset her so much? Um, I think she was talking about the murder. I think it was um, Betty did not want to talk about mm-hmm. something had been said, and I think it was that she was going to she was going into the thing about the murder, and Betty wanted to talk about women, uh, especially in in divorce situations, and the husband, you know, the husband being the one that's the you well, know, which is which happens very valid. Oh, you know? of course. So. But appealing to, to, to women and the largest women's audience, hello, was Oprah Winfrey, right? But isn't that funny? Yeah. Man. <laughs> so you pulled that together. Yeah. I kept her in the chair. Good for you. And then I wanted to get the hell out of there. I bet. <laughs> I did. Wow. I, that's what's so, that's what's just so amazing is that you, you talked about seeing that, that interview on Oprah. And I remember that. I do. I remember that like it was uh, yesterday and going, the big picture. Ooh, flashback. <laughs> yeah. Flashback. I have, oh my gosh, time is, is going by and I've had so much fun with you and such a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Before we go, I just want, if there's anything, the Habitat for Humanity, the, the work that you're doing, would you like to give out, is there a website or a Facebook page or anything for people who want to get involved with Oh that? yeah, we, we really love volunteers. You just go to Habitat for Humanity, Santa Barbara. And there's a little area up at the top where you can click on volunteer and you can volunteer and come help us. We're still digging out. You can come help us with that or you can help us on any any of the other projects that we're doing where we're actually building. We need volunteers. We need hands. And we also always need cash. Awesome. Okay. And so it's uh, Habitat for Humanity, Santa Barbara going to the Facebook, uh, you can definitely check them out on Facebook yeah. too. And there's Facebook. probably, they have their own website too. And their website. Yeah. Fantastic. And what about you, Meredith? Any, anything you want to let people know about what you want to do? I, no, I don't have any, no, I don't have anything. Just, uh, just drive carefully. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of your honey and drive carefully. I, I, before we go to, do you, have you ever, have you done radio dramas? Oh gosh, it's been a long time. I I have I got a I got a intuitive hit. I got a just lovely intuitive hit. Do you Orwell's nineteen eighty four? Yeah, I I actually filmed that, um, that as a movie. God. The Where? night the night that panicked America, a long time ago. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you've done radio on stage. You did that radio oh, yeah, show with that, Michael. Uh, because I'm I I as she's talking, I'm like I'm hearing my intuition or source whatever is going. Julia, 1984. Julia, 1984. Julia, 1984. Well, hold that thought. I'd, I'd definitely right. do it. Because that's one of my dreams to uh, to produce that. Okay. The entire 13 hours. Oh, my God. It's been done. We I, could do it again. I bet it pays well, too. Oh, it pays nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it pays nothing. That's why I'm in the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Meredith Baxter, thank you so very much. Nancy Locke, thank, thank you, you so very much for so much. Uh, such an enjoyable time. And, and I would love to have you back any time that you want to come back on. If you have other things that you got going on, we'll definitely let people know. But oh, thank you. Cool. Thanks. All right. Thank cool. you so very much. And I want to thank you, wonderful listeners, for tuning in today. I also want to leave you with the thought. Remember to always, always think outside of the box. Bye for now.